Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, where we equip men and women to be faithful in every aspect of life. This week, you will hear Pastor Wilson speak at New St. Andrews about his book, Productivity. We can't recommend this book enough. As you start this new year in 2021, let Douglas Wilson help you think about productivity, wealth, and technology. Get it today at canonpress.com. Thanks. It's great to be with you. Uh, looking forward to this. So uh, what I wanted to do is, uh, obviously, I'm talking on productivity, and I wrote a book on that. And the bulk of what I'm going to say is going to be uh, out of chapter 12, I think it's chapter 12, on productivity itself. But I want to frame it, and then as I work through the material of that chapter, um, have color commentary, um, random jokes, things like, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Like that one, <laughs> like that one. So um, the first part of uh, the first part of the book, productivity, uh, sort of sets out a theology of wealth and a theology of tools, and particularly uh, tech tools. Um, and the the reason I do this is that uh, a lot of Christians are uh, technophobic because they sort of pick up the idea that they ought to be. That uh, Christian, thoughtful Christians are inherently nervous about technology, and uh, and I argue in the book that uh, when Adam got the first stick to knock down the first honeycomb, uh, that was tool making. Um, that was uh, the beginning of tool making, and when we manufacture tools, uh, simple tools and sophisticated tools, we are not sidling away from our humanity. We are exhibiting it. So uh, I, I believe that God created us as tool-making creatures. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and were given the dominion mandate, and the dominion mandate uh, was to multiply and replenish the earth and you know fill the earth. I mean, think about a couple of naked bipeds in a garden, <laughs> and you've got this huge planet and God says, go fill that up. Well, that's going to involve sailing ships and mines and smelting and, ore. you know, it's going to, and you can't do, you can't do what they were told to do without making tools. However, for most, for many modern Christians, they look up tools or they look up technology in their, uh, ironically, Bible search software. <laughs> With very little awareness of what they're doing, they oh, this is. I used to say, in your look it up in your concordance, and people today would say, "What's a concordance? What's a con what's a concordance?" Well, they they look up technology or tools, and the Bible says very very little, uh, nothing about technology, and very little about tools, and so we think, well, the, uh, we're on our own, and, and so since everybody around me is sort of a nervous Nelly about. Uh, Technology, I think I ought to be also, and, and Google's making us stupid, and 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 so on. Uh, the, but the Bible does say an awful lot about wealth, and my argument, one of my undergirding uh, premises in the book Productivity, is that tools and technology are a form of wealth, and that means the Bible is full of uh, statements about the. Uh, benefits of wealth, the, the God's kindness to us in giving us wealth, and the siren call of wealth. Um, 
in Deuteronomy, when you come into the land and you have houses you didn't build and wells you didn't dig and all this wealth, and you, your heart grows fat. Jeshuan waxed fat and kicked. Or uh, Cotton Mather said one time, uh, faithfulness begat prosperity, and the daughter devoured the mother. So when you become prosperous, you become self-sufficient. And when you become self-sufficient, you think you don't need God. When you think you don't need God, you forget God, and then you start thinking that all this wealth is your own doing. But nevertheless, Deuteronomy, I, I, I think that Christians ought to be far more interested than they are in learning how to pray for and labor for what I call Deuteronomic blessings, right? Deuteronomic blessings, where God gives you heavy fruit to carry. Right? He, uh, Nate once said to his mom during some, he said, Mom, baskets of fruit are heavy. Right? Um, in the Valley of Shechem runs um, east-west into Israel, and Mount Gerizim is on the right side, and Mount Ebal is on the left. And Joshua, when they went in, put the people, put divided Israel into two, and the blessings were pronounced from Mount Gerizim, and the curses were pr pronounced from Mount Ebal. Uh, and, uh, and I think that that's probably what's behind a statement in uh, Ecclesiastes, the wise man's heart inclines to the right, the fool's heart to the left. Uh, thinking of the, the initial approach of Israel into the promised land, the blessings were on the right hand and the curses were on the left. So, we are, uh, blessings are heavy and curses are heavy. But the difference is you have fellowship with God carrying the one weight and no fellowship with God carrying the other weight. Uh, you can t and you can tell uh, that you're on the wrong track if you're if you're praying oh so earnestly to win the lottery just this once. You know, uh, I bought a ticket. And I'm, oh Lord, what would I do with all this money? I would serve you so faithfully. Um, well, actually, when you're you can test your motives on wanting to be wealthy. If you think that becoming wealthy would lighten your burdens. If you think that becoming wealthy would lighten your burdens instead of increasing them, then you are thinking about it all wrong. All right? Wealth, is, wealth um, increases your responsibility, increases your burdens, increases uh, the weight you have to carry. It doesn't lighten them. Uh, and if you want wealth so that you can quit work, if you want wealth so you can start goofing off, then you're wanting, every, you're wanting it for all the wrong reasons. If you want to um, increase your... Um, productivity, your wealth, your responsibility, so that you can carry more weight, then you're thinking of it in a more biblical way. You're thinking of Deuteronomic blessings, um, which, are, uh, which would be the glory of blessings. And the, the Hebrew word for glory, kabod, uh, has the connotation of weight. Okay? Now, uh, so if you look up uh, wealth in the Bible, or money, or riches, uh, the Bible has an enormous amount to say about not becoming self-sufficient. Uh, but wealth is a gift of God. It really is a gift of God, and it is a, presents a standing temptation to forget that wealth is a gift of God. Right, so wealth is a simultaneous blessing and temptation. Now, if you think of uh, technology as wealth, and you start thinking of it that way, you're going to all of a sudden know what what uh, temptations you have to resist. What do you have? To, what do you have to guard against? 
well, arrogance, self-sufficiency, um, a sense of entitlement, uh, the, the sorts of things that rich people, when they've forgotten God, what, what sort of uh, bad path do they, go, do they go down? So, just to illustrate this, this little unit has more computing power than was used in the first Apollo moon landing. Okay? If you, if you ever get a photo of Houston Control uh, during the moon landing, there's a bunch of guys sitting there with slide rules. Okay. <laughs> they, landed, they landed on the moon with slide rules. Right. <laughs> and you think, um, and this has, um, this has the equivalent, I haven't counted, but rough equivalent of 100,000 servants. I have access to virtually every library in the world. Right, right here in my pocket. I've got camera, video camera. Um, I can, I could look up. What's the Anglo-Saxon word for? What's the Latin word for? Um, and so the problem is, I've got. So I've got a hundred thousand servants here, ninety-five thousand of them sitting on their butt, smoking out back. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not managing my crew well. My, my crew is just sitting around. <laughs> my crew is just sitting around. Hmm. Well, what do I do? Well, how do I, how do I respond to this? Well, what you do, I, I, and I think this, is, this was true. Uh, I think the principles I, I talk about in plotting are true, were true prior to the uh, industrial age and prior, certainly tr prior to the digital age. I think they're perennial uh, principles. And, uh, but they, they didn't cease to apply simply because we're in this new, uh, uh, the early stages of the digital uh, revolution. So I remember um, my first computer, my first real computer, was an IBM XT. It had 10 megabytes of memory, <laughs> which I thought was cavernous. <laughs> I just, this is amazing. 10 megabytes. I'd be like 10 books. <laughs> okay, so um, the issue is how do, I, how do I think about my life in such a way that I can put these servants to work, right? And, and I can put them to work intelligently, not so that I can goof off. Remember what I said about you don't want to become wealthy so that your servants can, you know, bring you iced teas on the veranda, you want to uh, you, um, apprehend wealth, you want to come into a position of wealth so that you can direct your servants, so that you can be like the wise woman in Proverbs, Proverbs 31, who is overseeing her crew. All right? the, the wealthy biblical individual is as much of a worker as anybody else is. We're created by God to work, we're created by God to um, work, I, I think, our entire lives. I don't think we were created to lay about. All right, so um, the, the key is uh, how, to, how to think of wealth and technology and your time uh, what the, um, in a thoughtful, wise way so that you can start getting lots done. Okay, that's, uh, and and uh, my philosophy here is learn how to chip away Learn, learn how to be regular in your habits and not, don't, uh, well, 
don't start, there's a, somebody wants to, uh, I need to get in shape, and so they wake up one morning and they run six miles, and then they're laid up in bed for the cut next, <laughs> for a couple of weeks, because they ran six miles. It'd be far better to walk around the block every day, and then walk around two blocks. It'd be far better to just get a regimen of one thing that you do um, into your schedule. So you budget for it, you anticipate it, and after 30 or 40 days, it's like brushing your teeth. It's just something you, it's just something you do. It's part, of your, um, it's part of the framework of your day. And, uh, and productivity is learning to think about unredeemed hours, hours that get frittered or lost or uh, misplaced when you're not paying attention. Okay, that's what productivity is. So those who value productivity highly have a tendency to overlook the power of plotting. Okay, uh, and by plotting I just mean steady work in one direction, do a little bit every day. And they, but they, uh, people who care about productivity overlook plotting for a couple of reasons. There are a couple of temptations. Uh, if they feel any urgency at all to be more productive, they tend either to resort to the blind guides of intensity or extension. Okay, intensity or extension. Intensity is manifested when the deadline approaches and the manager of the product project gets some lighter fluid, douses his hair with it, and sets it ablaze, and runs around in tight little circles. The deadline is tomorrow. We you know we have to ship by tomorrow. We have to do this by you know, tonight we have, and so, uh, and that translates into yelling, that translates into panic, that translates into uh, intense emotions and drama at the firm. Okay, that's, that's, that's intensity. Extension, extension is the solution called working late. Okay, working late. The first says that 48 hours of work needs to be crammed into a 24-hour day. That's intensity. And the second says that work days need to be extended to 14 hours instead of eight. Okay, so one intensity, the intensity false solution tries to put 48 hours into 24 hours and, and, and tries to do it by yelling and running and, and scrambling. Um, and the extension option uh, calls home and says, I won't be home for dinner and I, I'll be home late. And then tomorrow night I'll be home late again I'll be home late again. Or in Studentville, um, it's every night at the library, you know, every night in the library, working until 10.30 and you know, work, working until they kick you out. And oftentimes, the people who do that, do the extensive thing, say, well, I'm, I'm a workaholic or I'm just dedicated to work. And many times, it's because you're working stupidly. You're, you're not being effective in what you're doing. It'd be far, far better to do a lot less effectively than to do... Um, to sprawl. Um, now, of course, there are times when the ox is in the ditch or the barn is in fact on fire. Uh, either one of these options uh, is a reasonable course to take. It, you know, the barn's on fire. It's an intense moment. There are times when there are actual emergencies. Aliens really are landing on your corporation's heliport. If, if, such, were to, if such were to happen, then you have my permission to behave accordingly. <laughs> I'm not going to accuse you of overreacting. However, there's, there is um, inflation here. When everything is a crisis, nothing is a crisis. 
When everything's always a crisis, then it, over time, nothing is a crisis. When everything is a crisis, when every project or deadline is on fire, this is a time management issue. When it's a routine pattern, the crisis is not in the work, but rather in the worker. So occasion, every business is going to have a crisis occasionally, and every um, family is going to have a crisis. You're, things come up. But if it's, if it's daily drama, then that's not the situation. That's the person. Okay? Nobody has that exciting a life. <laughs> I mean, how do you, how do you write? Okay? Um, so what this means is that productive work requires a rhythm and requires a metronome. It requires a rhythm and a metronome. And you shouldn't try to look at your 24-hour day and get everything in your day onto a metronome because life isn't like that. Okay, but you need to be able to carve out some spot where it, you do the same thing regularly. Okay? So, it requires a rhythm or a metronome. Long-distance runners settle into a pace. Right? They settle into a rhythm. Rowers and crew fall into what they call swing, where they just get in the zone and they do the same thing over and over. This action, performed at this pace, methodically and deliberately, will in fact get us where we are going. When the need is urgent, the temptation to flail must be resisted. The, the temptation to panic and flail is a very uh, intense one, and it must be resisted. When the need is urgent, the temptation to sprawl must be res resisted. So sprawling is extension, working late again and again and again. And uh, intensity is the temptation to flail. Now, many people put off working on something, on anything, until they've been able to carve out, quote unquote, carve out an adequate time to work on it. They need elbow room in order to get it done, and since they never get the adequate elbow room, they never get the work done. Quote, I could write the great American novel if only I had three months free and clear. Okay, but three months free and clear are not to be had. It's not going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> sue me, you know, sue me. Uh, every, if, only, if only I had all these responsibilities taken away. Remember, you're thinking about that. You're thinking about your daily schedule the same way you're thinking about uh, winning the lottery. If only I had all these, these burdens lifted, then I could do what I wanted to do, which is write the great American novel and eat chocolates. Well, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride, right? And um, so you can't just wish yourself into a, a happy spot. So three months free and clear are not to be had. Occasionally, once in a while, you're an academic and your university or your college gives you a sabbatical and and lo, you've got, you've got that time. But that's not how really productive people get most of the stuff done. Because 15 minutes a day can be had. 15 minutes a day can be had. It's not a big deal. It's not a big commitment. That can be found. And so here I want to illustrate the power of plotting. Suppose you wanted to write a novel of 60,000 words which is a medium-sized medium novel. Daunting, right? That's a big stake right there. Carve it up into bite-sized pieces. Commit to writing 100 words a day, no matter what. 100 words a day, 
no matter what. And you can do it in the morning, you can do it in the evening before you go to bed, you can do it on your lunch break. Um, but for someone who wants to be a writer, uh, 100 words should be 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And so what you do is you sit down uh, every evening uh, before you go to bed, you sit down and you say, okay, you open up the file and you look, it's got, this chapter's got 673 words. I go to bed when it's 773 words or 800. You know, I just write a couple paragraph or two and 100 words and I go to bed. Now, this, I've written various books like this. In, in fact, I wrote Plotactivity like this. So it was, so, so as not to be a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so after 10 days, so you do that. After 10 days, after a week and a half, you have 1,000 words. Week and a half, you have 1,000 words. After a month, you have 3,000. At this rate, you have your novel in under two years, 20 months to be exact. Okay, so take Sundays off. And, 100, and, and it's not, uh, what I told you to do is write 100 words. It's nothing, it's nothing. And you say, well, the reason I needed to clear my desk and get notebooks and sharpen my pencils and get three free months, the reason I needed to do all that is so that I could concentrate and remember all the characters and, you know, uh, all that. Well, here's the problem. You're going to do a far better job remembering all the characters if you visit them every day for 10 minutes. If you, if you try to do the intensity thing, I'm going to write, 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 write. It's not going to work. Okay, so at this rate, you have your novel in under two years, 20 months. This is not actually a secret for writing a novel. It's a secret for writing a novel that nobody had any idea you were writing. Right? Every night, you've got a little thing of uh, cement in the garage. Every night when you take the garbage out, you quick mix up some cement and you lay a brick. And then after a couple of months, you ask your wife to come out and see the wall, the garden wall that you built. <laughs> she, she never goes out that way. And you'd, you just laid a brick a night. And I, there are other things that I thought of that you could do. Um, <laughs> well, I thought some landscapers, professional landscapers, I thought could, should, um, if they wanted to prank somebody, they should go at 2 in the morning every night they should go over to their front lawn and move the bush on this side of their lawn six inches and then fill in the sod afterwards. <laughs> well, circle thing. And then every night, it's just six inches closer to the sidewalk. <laughs> and once a foot from the sidewalk, you start getting funny looks. But it looks, and then it crosses the sidewalk. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway. Okay, excuse me. I got distracted. So, um, it's likely that you have other spare 15 minutes lying about, not to mention some other possible projects that you have your eye on. And I, I was, I'm using writing as an illustration, but you can do this uh, with any number of things. Chip away at them. Do a little bit. Do a little bit. And do not fall for the idea that unless you can pour yourself into something for half a year, there's no point in doing it at all. 
And if you say that you could not possibly do anything like this without outlining the, first, the whole thing first, well, fine. Work on an outline for 15 minutes a day. I'm not going to let you off the hook. Whatever it is you need to do, do it a little bit every day. Uh, here's another example in reading. This is one of the... Um, I, uh, one time I was asked to review a book. It was a, for books and culture. And uh, the editor said, would you be interested in re re reviewing this book? It's a new biography of Napoleon. And, well, as it happens, my education has had different um, spotty areas. And the Napoleonic era was one of my spotty areas. And I thought, oh, this is great. Great, I can fill in, I can learn, I can learn about Napoleon and write a book review and everything's swell. And so I said, sure. And so the book arrived in the mail, and it was this beast of a book. <laughs> it was a beast. Uh, oh. Okay, I didn't want to know that much. <laughs> um, so, but I owed, the guy, I owed the guy a book review. And so what I did is I, I looked at when I owed the book review, how many days, and I gave myself a week for writing the book review and then said, okay, I want to have the book read by this date. I counted the days between the day it was and the day I needed to start writing. And then I counted the pages in the book and did a simple math problem. And if I read this number of pages a day, I will have the book done by that day. And, it's, and when you do things like that, it was like, a, it was like 10 pages a day. If I read 10, 10 pages a day, which is not this beast of a book, that was a that was a beast. Sitting down, oh, I've got, to, I've got to read this, that would have been a challenge. But 10 pages a day is simple. So um, instead of waiting for that week at the beach when you can plow through three pot boilers at one go, decide when you want to read, what you want to read, and then read 10 pages of that book every evening. Some, some of the books I work through, I read two pages or half, just one page, and then I've got page pointers, and I just read the page and turn it over and put it, put it down. And then it's astonishing how often I look at the page pointer and say, crikey. Look how I, and then oftentimes I'll be in the backstretch. You know, I'm, I've rounded, in, rounded into the straight, and I've got 60 pages left, and I've got a lazy Sunday afternoon, and so I just you know, finish it out. Um, so decide what you want to read, then read 10 pages of that book every evening. If you have more time available and the inclination, then go ahead and read a bit more. But give yourself time, budget time, to read 10 pages daily. Okay? That's 10 or 15 minutes for the average reader. It's not that... Um, after 30 days, that's a 300-page book. That's... Change the math a bit, and let's keep it a whacking great book, 365 pages, say. So I pick that number of pages to keep the illustrative math simple. You don't have to write a book review or anything, so there are no deadlines beyond that of simply completing the book. You just think it's high time you read whatever it is, though Moby Dick it is. So, uh, which is what I did years ago. I Somehow I got through, I was into my 60s and I had never read Moby Dick, and I'd met made plenty of other people read Moby Dick. <laughs> but I didn't want to go to judgment and have that come up. <laughs> so, so, I have to read Moby, uh, so I have to read Moby Dick. Um, so let's say it has uh, 365 
pages. If you made a point of reading just one page a day, you would complete the book in a year. Okay, and the average reader clocks in about 350 words a minute, and that's about how many words are on an average page. So one minute, you know. Moby Dick, a minute a day for a year. And there you go. So one minute a day, and by the time next year's New Year's resolutions roll around, blam, or blammo, you will have finished it. So what plotting requires, and this is, and you might say this is the Achilles heel, but not really. But what it requires is predictability and routine. Okay, because if every day is unlike the day before, um, you're going to have a hard time with this. This is not a process that thrives in the midst of chaos. So if you have a calling or a life that is chaotic in the middle, there have to be times that are not chaotic, right? Because there are times when you comb your hair. That's not chaotic. And you do it every day, most of you. <laughs> So, you're one of, if, so if you're one of those rare souls who can live for 28 days running without any one of those days bearing the least resemblance to any of the others, then this advice about plotting will probably be ineffectual. But if you're like most people, you brush your teeth at approximately the same time every day. Have your breakfast the same way. Go to lunch like that and go to bed roughly the same time. When people say, what time do you go to bed? That's, there's an, usually an answer to that question, right? You don't ever Oh, no telling, you know. <laughs> Most of us could answer the question, what time do you usually go to bed? Well, go to bed 15 minutes later. Change it. You know, I go to bed at 10. Well, go to bed at 10.15. Are you, you're not going to kill you, right? 10, 10.15, that's not sleep deprivation. <laughs> and you will discover that if you prioritize getting your 15 minutes of whatever it is in, you can usually fit it in earlier and keep your bedtime. Because almost everybody, not only, not only does everybody have 15 minutes lying around, but you probably have a score or two of 15 minute segments lying around. Okay? And if you don't believe me, just ask your iPad how many hours you spent on Facebook this last week. And you say, that's a halftime job. <laughs> okay, well, this is another way of saying that an awful lot of us waste an awful lot of time. We blow our 15-minute opportunities, opportunities like they grew on trees. And this is not to say that we're being lazy or sluggish. It's not our fault that we had to spend 10 minutes standing in line at the bank, right? And while, and while folding the laundry is a productive use of time, it frequently does not feel that way. So there's no reason you can't listen to podcasts or books on Audible while folding the laundry. You're, you've got to do something. Well, redeem the time. Layer something else on top of it. Now, this is where the earlier, uh, my, earlier in the book, uh, my discussion of tools comes in. Suppose you're reading through a book, and it's a bucket book of yours. I call a bucket book a book that I really should have read by this time in my life, but somehow mysteriously haven't. So um, I'm, I always try to have, so currently I have, I've got a small list, like four books. I've got a a volume of poetry I, I want to work on. So this, um, the book I'm reading, basically it's the book I'm reading, a bucket book, a book that I really should have read um, by this time, a volume of, um, uh, a volume of poetry, and uh, a fictional book, you know, so a novel. So, and I just chip away at all of them, okay? 
So this is a, uh, not Moby Dick, because you've already dispatched that one. This is a different bucket, bucket book, which means it's a book that you really ought to have read, but you haven't. So Anna Karenina it is. There's, almost all of these bucket books are Russian novels. <laughs> and then, then grandfather was hanging in the barn. Uh, <laughs> well, excuse me. The, the, it's not a book that you would necessarily go pick up and read just for fun, but you would enjoy having read it. Um, as Mark Twain once said, a classic is a book that nobody wants to read, but everyone's, everybody wants to have read. So it's a classic, so you can probably get it from on Kindle for 99 cents or something, or free from Project Gutenberg. You can figure out that it's about 300 pages. You decide to read two pages a day, and that gets you through that book in five months. Not only is this grand and glorious, but here today in the line of the post office, you can take out your phone because it's an obedient tool, and you have your Kindle app right on your, on your phone, right? You can knock out your two pages right there. But you want to be careful about distractions because you can also watch cat videos standing in line at the <laughs> in the post office. So this applies. Um, uh, in another part of the book, I add up, you know, if you, I don't know, I've got a math servant here. So Twenty-four times sixty. Twenty-four hours times sixty. Um, uh, sixty minutes in an hour is fourteen forty. Okay, times seven is ten thousand eighty. Okay, so you ca calculate how many hours you've got a forty-hour, uh, uh, forty hours a, a week at your job. Um, you're you've got eight hours times eight times seven for time asleep. So God apparently thinks that we need to, sp I'm 67, which means, means I've spent over 22 years conked out. <laughs> 22 years. <laughs> 22 years. And it was worth every minute. <laughs> it was my, sometimes your, your servants get back chatty. <laughs> <laughs> One, one time I was, um, I should tell you this, I had my phone on, my, on, the, on the table. I was counseling uh, a married couple, and, uh, and, the, and the guy was being kind of a lunkhead. And, and I said, um, I was exhorting him, that my phone was just sitting there, and I said, you've got to search your heart. And, you know. and, and then a few seconds later, my phone said, your language. I said, what? I looked at my phone, and Siri had heard the word search, and had searched, but then auto-corrected what I had said to something foul, and, <laughs> and, and then rebuked me, <laughs> and then rebuked me for my language. Your language, I can't believe. <laughs> Another time, this is not my current email program, but years ago, I, was, uh, I had to unfortunately rebuke a woman and it was a church discipline case, and I had to rebuke her. It was a marital mess, and I had to rebuke her for lying. Uh, and so I typed up the uh, letter very carefully, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're about to send it, and you pray over it, and you know, click send. 
So I, I send it, and then uh, it, the program I used to use was called Eudora. And, um, and Eudora box popped up on the screen with two jalapenos. And it, said the, and it said, the average recipient of this e email might find the contents offensive. <laughs> I'm the pastor. You're not the pastor. <laughs> That's because I'd use the word, I think I'd use the word lie or liar or something somewhere in the, and, and of course, Eudora is watching out for the drunk, uh, the, the drunk email at two in the morning to your boss. And it's watching out for you. Are you sure you, sure you don't want to send this in the morning? But uh, so uh, you have to learn the ropes and learn your way around and say, okay, uh, but I have hours, right? I have many hours to accomplish what I want to accomplish. So I, I just gave you, I gave you writing a, uh, writing a book in 15 minutes a day. But j the average American has... 20 hours a week lying around, right? Like it's a half-time job. So you could sleep, um, you could get your full eight hours, you could work at your, uh, your regular job paying the bills, you can play in the yard, play with the kids in the yard for 10 hours a week and run them ragged and then have time to be productive. Uh, to, to do that thing that you really, really want to do. Um, now the thing, uh, and, and this is where it starts to uh, pinch a little bit. Because if, you, if we did a budget, if, if we did a time budget, and this is another, another thing, uh, the richest person in the world, the most productive person in the world, and the most inefficient, inefficient person in the world gets a chit every day from God. Here's your free 24 hours. Rich people don't get more. Wealthy people don't get more. Um, uh, poor people don't get less. Everybody gets, you can't print time. Time is a fixed commodity. Uh, it's like gold. Um, the big advantage, the reason investors like gold is because the government can't print it. Right? It's, it's, it's out of the reach of manipulation by the, by the government. So is time. So time, everybody's given the same amount of time, and what you want to do is learn how to use it efficiently without becoming a maniac. So, uh, and by a maniac, I mean you don't want to look like the person who's in the grip of intensity or who's working all the time and the family only sees the back of your head and you don't have time for regular people, you don't have time to sit and laugh or visit or time. You, you want to be a regular person with a regular life but you don't want to be squandering golden opportunities where you could actually get something done. Now, I'll just finish with this and then we can open, up, open it up for questions. Um, and I, I wrote this book because a lot of people have asked me, how do you get, uh, how do you get so much done? And the, the, this is the answer. This is how I get. But I also have to add, you should see what's on the floor. You know, <laughs> I, you should, see, you should see what I don't get done. Um, there's an awful lot that I, that I don't get to, no time for that, no, you know, I've, I've got all kinds of projects I'd love to get to that I can't, um, can't get to, and I'm interested in doing it if I if only had three months. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I want to do is use the, uh, use the little cracks, use the little spots of time um, uh, wisely. 
and and don't begrudge the three minute um, the, the three minute uh, spots. One other illustration. Um, so I'm I've started listening to uh, books on Audible. So I read. I've got my Kindle books. I've got my hard copy books, and I've got my um, Audible books. And Moscow is not a big town, right? So you can. I can hop in the truck and be at work in, inside of three minutes, right? It's not that big a town. But you listen to, I listen to books in two and a half minute increments. And you can get a book done, a healthy sized book done in about a week, just going around, uh, just going around town. And you say, well, okay, that's, put it away. Put just, uh, and it's better than, Staring out the window aimlessly is better than just zoning out. Okay. Questions? Yes. We've got uh, one couple from Zoom here, but um, I'll just ask one first. Um, somebody's asking about, uh, you mentioned servants or slaves. What about literal servants and meaning there of um, uh, adding workers to your household in some way, making a productive household? Uh, thoughts on that? Um, how uh, that yeah. Yeah, ha having actual servants is uh, an honorable thing to do so long as you're managing them well. So the uh, elder is supposed to manage his household well, which in the biblical times would have included servants. So um, Lydia, uh, the average, uh, so Lydia in Acts 16, if she was an average woman who was a merchant in that strata, her household, uh, her household probably would have had 200 people in it. In modern times, we get by with a lot fewer servants because you can push a button for the dishwasher and push a button for the microwave, and you know we've got we've got a lot of servants all over the house. But there are people who are economically situated where they can hire servants to watch, you know, to do certain things, uh, and you want to make sure that you're hiring them to uh, free you up to do something that's just as weighty as what they're doing. You, you don't want the servants to free you up so you can sit around. Th that's not healthy for them, not healthy for you. But if you're hiring servants so that you can work too in the areas that you would like to be working, then, then great. So um, just a, uh, an example, my Nancy, Nancy and I two and a half years ago moved in with my dad, who's 93, who needs pretty regular around the clock care so we're staying with him and it's a it's a long haul it's a it's a haul and so Gordon and Evan my two brothers uh, are in the rotate you know take have a uh, certain res assigned responsibilities and and I have the responsibilities but we after we'd done it for a year or two we started to um, supplement the care with hired service people coming in so, so to get them up in the morning and that sort of thing so we, we are in that position. We're using servants. We do some of the work. They do some of the work. There's another comment as well, a question um, I was thinking of. Uh, it's also part of NSA's vision, right, that we are wanting to create not just worker bees, but also people who are uh, employers who are and have employees. Yeah. And it seems like that's part of that also. That is correct. Do you have thoughts on that in terms of NSA's vision about Yes. Um, no, very, very much so. I, I believe that... Uh, again, Deuteronomic blessings. You shall be the head, not the tail. 
So I, I, I don't know how many times I've said this. It's a lot. If you've heard it from me before, sorry. Um, when the first pioneers got here to Idaho, there were no jobs. Zero. When the first settlers made it to New England, there were no jobs. There was a lot of work, but no jobs. Slaves think in terms of, I, uh, I can't move there. There are no jobs. Or the, the, oh, how much work do you think there is? Well, that's a different question altogether. And that's the question that an entrepreneur would ask, right? So an entrepreneur says, uh, a person looking for a job looks at Craigslist or, you know, in the old days at the one ads, they, they, oh, no, nobody's hiring. Uh, a person with a, the kind of aggressive bent I'm, would, would buy a paintbrush and a roller and w start walking up and down the street, knocking on doors saying, morning, ma'am, you need your uh, kitchen painted. You know, and looking, there's work. There's, there's work available. And you can chip away at hunting for it. You can just budget every day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to inquire. Let's say you're unemployed. Well, two, uh, two job applications a day. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock. I'm going to ask. I'm going to inquire. Or I'm going to create my own work. You know, did, did I answer your question? Yes, that was great. Yeah. I've got another Zoom question. So go for yeah. it. Where would you put the uh, role of leisure, not so much rest, but leisure as a strategic um, aspect of productivity? Are you thinking of leisure in Joseph Pieper's sense? Um, yes. Okay. So uh, Joseph Pieper wrote a book called Leisure, The Basis of Culture. And for him, uh, leisure was Sabbath rest, contemplative celebration. Um, it wasn't sitting idly around. It was, uh, it was enjoying God for who he was, understanding who you are. And uh, he was writing in the Roman Catholic um, setting. So I don't think he had as robust, a, uh, ro as robust or as high a view of vocational labor as a Protestant would, but I like, I like very much his, um, his view of leisure as Sabbath rest. But it's six days you shall labor and one you rest and you think about, reflect on what you've accomplished. So yes, it, it should be, a, I said earlier, a rhythmical life. It should be a, a, a rhythm of rest and work and rest and work. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, there, someone could take what I'm saying here and use it as an excuse for being manic about everything and driving their family crazy. Uh, you know, ah, 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 there's two minutes right there. <laughs> and and what I'm talking about is living this way in a way that nobody who lives with you notices. Right. You're at the dinner table as as long as anybody else is. You you sit around and visit just like everybody else does. Um, you don't 
uh, you're, you're, you don't function like your hair's on fire. And you don't make their life miserable. But what you do is you redeem the time. And there's an, well, my point is there's an awful lot of it to redeem. There's an awful lot of it that nobody's using. <laughs> right? Nobody cares. So if you, um, if you sat down and watched 15 minutes of the game, or you caught the news, or you, you know, did something that ordinary life and, you, and instead, you sat down at your computer, and you opened up the file of that book you're writing, and added 100 words to it, and then closed the file, and come back out to the living room, nobody will ever know. <laughs> right? It's, it's not like you're robbing people. It's not like you're um, being a recluse or a weirdo. So um, you, you, I believe that someone who works this way should not come across to others as though they were frantic. Because if you're, if you're acting frantic, that's simply the intensity trap that I was talking about earlier. That answers, thanks. Another question on Zoom. Uh, do you recommend any productivity uh, or productive tools like a to-do list or to-do list, I guess, is a nap, things like that? Yeah. Um, yes, I use Trello, um, which I, I really like as a, uh, I tried Todoist and I, tr um, and I used Evernote for a couple of years and, and then just uh, it got less intuitive and I was born in 1953 so my software has to be intuitive. <laughs> slide rules. <laughs> slide rules. <laughs> when life was simple. <laughs> um, so, um, so I still have Evernote, but I don't use it as much as I used to. But I use Trello a lot, if you're T-R-E-L-L-O. And I use, it to, um, I use it to keep lists of things that I, I want to chip away at. And so I have, um, I have one tab open for books I'm working on in Scrivener, another tab open for books I'm working on in Word. And I just open go to that card. Um, a uh, reading list tab, I open it up, and when I read the, my page, I just add a number next to that book. So I can say, I can tell you that on, I've been reading this book, and I've read a page in it 89 times, you know, because I've got that number there. And it takes two seconds to, to do that. So I've, I use, I'm probably most dependent on Trello. Follow-up question on the books. Do you have a try to keep yourself disciplined on like how many books you're reading so you're only doing like four or five at a time. Like I find um, I, uh, I have about 20 or 30 books that I've started and I'm kind of you know, chipping away through them all but then uh, I forget the plot at different points because I don't, I'm not looking through them all. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably working on 20 to 30 now okay. and uh, actively working on it uh, where it's, it, it's a, some I, I get, I just stall out and it wasn't it wasn't worth it to me to fin you know finish, but I I chip away at a lot of books. So I have I have um, books that I um, on my Logos Bible software, which is on th this. I've got books from my Logos library that I read a page or two, and when I do my Bible reading in the morning, um, I'll read a page or two of each one of those, and then I've got the four books of the Office I mentioned earlier. Then I've got a Kindle list called my nightstand 
that if I have a moment in the evening, I just read a page or two of each one of those. And uh, then I've got another stack of books. So I've got four stashes. Um, and then whatever I'm doing on Audible. Is there a point at which you, you'll throw a book away? Like, you're, this isn't just worth it anymore? Like, yeah. I, I, like 50 pages, so that's kind of like what it is for me. Yeah, I said, uh, there are t books that I think, nah, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun, but. OK, another question from Zoom here. Um, uh, suggestions during uh, how to plot during an election crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Stop oh, watching. Turn off the television. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, how to plod. Basically, um, you want to do your, do your ordinary thing when the, when the world around you is going, going crazy. Don't, and of course, if there, if there were, if civil war broke out, uh, you might let that disrupt your schedule for a day or two. <laughs> but not if you're dedicated. <laughs> So what I do, what I do is I uh, that happens because as time goes on, oh, you get a new book and oh, I really want to re read this. You might bump it up to the top of the list, or you might put it in a staging area. I, I want to really want to get to that. And what I do with Trello is I have um, projects that I move to the top of the list. That if if I've got um, time, and I'll, I'll want to chip away, I want to do a page uh, uh, or a hundred words on every one of the projects where I'm writing, everything that I'm doing, I want to do them all. But if I don't have time, I want to have them prioritized such that I do the top one or two. And I did, at least I did something on these projects. Yeah? So if someone is having lots of trouble staying uh, motivated and productive in something, whether that's a regular job or a personal project, how can one tell the difference between whether they need to just plow harder, um, realize you have a bad week or so, or uh, just abandon ship and spend their time elsewhere? Right. So the question is, basically, if this is not uh, thrilling me anymore, if the joy is gone from this job or this task, if it's a, it's a, if it's a self-appointed task, you have the complete authority to wad it up and throw it away. But it would be better to back, sh back burner it and come say, OK, I'm, I'm going to come back to this the first of the month. I'll, I'm going to, um, I've gotten tired of this for some reason. Maybe it's me, maybe it's the project. Come back in a couple of weeks, look at it again with fresh eyes. And you'll be able to tell, oh, no, this is a lame project. This is a lame project. Or I was being lame, and I should reboot, the, I, I should reboot this. So don't allow um, bad days to set the pitch for the whole thing. Uh, uh, you've probably heard this said before, don't doubt in the dark what you knew in the light. So if this job is perfect, and you know intellectually it's perfect, but you had a couple of bad days there, I would say soldier through. But if, it, if the job is nothing like what you thought it was going to be, and you're not suited for it, you, you know, this is, I, this is not me with a bad attitude. This is me with the wrong skill set. You know, uh, then I would look for, a new, look for a new position. So you've got the authority to do that sort of thing. Yeah? Nate's mentioned before that he's more of a sprinter than you are. Yeah. Um, and I kind of relate. So as a graphic designer, there are 
times when you really are in the zone where you've got this creative sort of set of creative rules that you're using for one particular project. Um, and if your job is to come up with creative solutions for a problem and getting in the zone and sprinting through that project you know, for hours really mm -hmm. does solve it better than plotting, um, is there, I was wondering if you could speak Well, there's that. some things that I don't plot on at all, right? I, um, one of the things, I'm a preacher, and so Wednesdays are my sermon day. And so I sit down to, I spend hours on my sermon outline, right? So I, I'll, um, you know, do the reading I want to do, uh, start writing on the outline. And I, so I just block that time out. And that's not a plod project. That's, that's something I do every Wednesday. So it's really what you can plot on to do so, and if it's the sort of project you shouldn't. Right. If it's your vocation, basically, um, if your boss comes in and says, why, why'd you only do 10 minutes on this project? And you say, well, I was plotting. <laughs> your boss would say, I know you were. That's why, that's why I came in. <laughs> you're plotting. Well, if you're being paid to work on this thing all day, then work on it all day. So what I was talking about is how can people, oftentimes people who are interested in time management or effective use of their time are hustlers who have a side hustle going. You know, they've got their job, they're paying their bills, but they don't want to be doing this for the rest of their life. They want to write the breakout novel or they want to do a project or record music or, you know, whatever it is. And so my, my message is do a little bit every day, just a little bit every day on the side projects. If you're being paid for 40 hours a week on a job, don't do a little bit every day. Do a lot every day on the, on the thing you're paid to do. Okay, I think time for maybe a couple more questions. Um, maybe while you're thinking there, one more question on Zoom here. Uh, asking about advice for people who have irregular schedules, maybe uh, soldier on deployment, or example, a doctor who works seven days in a, in a row and then has seven days off, something like that. Okay. So with uh, basically, look at the schedule and, and ask yourself, what kind of regularity can I squeeze out of this irregular schedule? So let's say a doctor is on call seven days and he's off seven days. Well, um, I would say 20 minutes every day on your off days. So when you're, when you're at the hospital, don't worry about it. When you're home, it should be easy to find 20 minutes. To, to do that. The, the, you can zoom out and get a macro pattern and say, how can I, what can I chip away every day? Well, I can't do it I'm, if I'm a doctor. I can't do it when I'm on call, or I can't do it when I'm on watch in the Navy or whatever. But yeah, OK, great. When are, when are the times you could do it? And there are always, you know, I did my hitch in the Navy. There were always times where you could do something. Yes. Kind of looking at it on a more macro level, um, at least for me, I have kind of different areas of life, so like school, work, um, social life, teaching on the side. Is there any ways that you um, kind of organize those as more broader categories? Because sometimes I find that like I will be so focused on doing school that it's hard to find time for <laughs> like doing work or other things like that. Mm -hmm. um, do you kind of categorize your life in those different pools, or do you kind of just let it all mush together? <coughs> no, I don't, I don't let them mush together, but I do uh, try to overlay them. So um, if, if you're, let's say you're, um, so I teach, I write, I 
I'm a preacher and I do other little projects here and there. I try to, if I read a book, let's say, um, and I just read it because I wanted to read it, uh, if I enjoyed it, then I will review it on my podcast. On my podcast, so it's like think of yourself like a Sioux with a buffalo. Use every piece, you know, and then reuse. So, if is are the things that you're learning that you're having to teach, that you're learning and doing that in lesson plans, that you could I could I reuse this anywhere? Or lessons if you're if with your regular job that's bringing in the paycheck. What are, what are some things I can take from this and use it as I'm instructing? Or, you know, ba basically I, I try to cross-pollinate as often as I can. So I re if I write something, I reuse, I'll, I'll use it for a blog post, I'll recycle it into a book later, I'll, you know, I just use things multiple times. Is this going to make you expect sex robots to show up in your sermon? <laughs> no. <laughs> that that ship has sailed. <laughs> okay. Oh wait, one more last question. Yeah, last one. Do you structure your um, social media slash news checking up on time? Is that something? Because that's at least my temptation is to let that run on social media or scroll through news articles. Oh, here's another news article that looks interesting, and then I find that my time runs away, and I've spent what was meant to be five minutes suddenly fifteen minutes, twenty right. minutes. Um, do you set strict boundaries on? Them? this time researching the news on social media, and then I'm done? No, um, it used to be, back in the Precambrian era, um, <laughs> well, I, you know, for years and years I got, got a newspaper, you know, read, I just read the newspaper in the evening. Then when the digital, digital revolution happened, and let's call it the Drudge, area, uh, Drudge era, I would check Drudge a couple, three times a day and see if anything interesting there. Now, interestingly, um, I get almost all my news information from Twitter because I, it's just the people I follow, if something breaks, if something big happens, then it almost certainly shows up in my feed and I'll click through and look at a story. But I don't spend a lot of time digging deep into the stories. I'll, I'll go look at headlines and, and read enough of the story to get the, the gist. But I don't like, I don't like uh, throwing time away which I think um, this can be a real time suck. So. so do you set a time on it? No, I just don't like it. I don't, I don't like spending um, a lot of time, unless there are occasional times where I just feel like, I, I feel like putting my feet up and throwing a bunch of time away. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy, do you want to watch a movie? No, no, okay. I'll just, but the, uh, most of the time, most of the time it's just, uh, I just check in and, Thank you. Thank you.